I am. I'm glad you made it this morning. I don't know about you guys. I think I'm a weirdo, but I love rainy days. So, man, I just kind of popped out even with this much rain. I'm kind of like, man, this is just, this is just, I just like rainy days. I don't know why it makes me happy. Uh, and then also we're jumping into this study of the Song of Solomon, which is just fun. So, uh, so this, is just a, this is just a good day to be here. So, so welcome. Hey, I don't know if you've had this experience. I assume that you have because it's happened several times with Terry and I. But is there like a movie or some song from, you know, back in the day that maybe you watched or listened to a lot when you were growing up? And maybe just, just in your innocence, uh, you missed some of those innuendos or some of those things that were going on in that movie or that song. And then you plop down and you get the family together and you're like, oh man, that was a great movie. Let's all watch it, you know? You got the popcorn pop, you're sitting on the couch and the movie starts and then you're looking over at each other like, I don't remember that. <laughs> you're playing the radio in the car and you're like, you're turning it up. Oh, this is a good song. Oh, this is not a good song, you know? And you start catching yourself. Terry's movie growing up, she and her girl cousins would watch all the time was Grease. And she was always telling me about how Grease was just this great movie and how she watched it as a little girl. And then finally she talked me into walk, watching it after we were married. And I'm like, girl, well, your parents let you watch this? I mean, have y'all, have y'all watched Grease? I mean, it was PG. But man, Danny and Sandy and Rizzo and her boyfriend, you know, they were like playing Pictionary. Grease Lightning has got some uh, pretty strong suggestive content along with the song that they play while they're at the bowling alley. Uh, well, pretty much the whole thing. In fact, I looked it up on that common sense uh, thing that parents can use to kind of see and find out what kind of content's in movies. And like on sexual content, uh, <laughs> Grease is like off the charts. And it was PG. Of course, I didn't have anything like that that I grew up watching. I mean, I was, I was into, you know, early rap music, so like Tone Loke, totally sanitized, <laughs> Beastie Boys, Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Baby Got Backs about some overweight infant that came, you know, returned from a long trip. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> those things are, are to- totally clean. No, I mean, we, we've got these things, and that's an awkward moment when you blush, and you go, oh, my goodness. Well... Have you read Song of Solomon? Probably not, because it's not something that gets preached on a lot, and it's something that the church kind of does, maybe just doesn't want to talk about that much. In fact, and this is a bit of a soapbox for me, I mean, it's the reason why out there church people kind of get this reputation, like this is a topic, romantic love and intimacy is just something that we don't know anything about, as if, <laughs> as if our God like, just missed it. As if in creation, somehow, the, like the devil's like snuck in and added the reproductive organs after and God didn't see it, you know, when he had his head turned. No? I mean, you're, you're reading along in, uh, in the Bible and, you know, you're reading about these, like how you check someone out for leprosy and how many turtle doves you're supposed to get to the priest for sacrifice. And then all of a sudden, Bam! Eight chapters, 117 verses of romantic octane and passion. What do you do with that? On the flip side, what would it mean if our Bible didn't have the Song of Solomon? What would that say about this God that we worship? And what does it say that it is there, that this is in here? Now, this book is one of the most 
left out, misinterpreted, mistaught books in the Bible. In fact, one commentator said it's the most debated, difficult, mysterious books in, in, in the entire Word of God. It, it's been interpreted all kinds of ways, but most agree, and I would agree. It's, we find ourselves in the middle of a love story. You got Solomon and this, this Shulamite girl, and they're talking to one another, and it's a song. It's, it's, it's poetry. It's, in fact, the name of the book is Song of Songs, which means like the finest of all songs. If God was going to write a love song, this is it. And I don't know what your favorite, favorite love song is. I mean, maybe, maybe you're a Clarence Carter kind of person or a Nicki Minaj kind of person or maybe you're way old school Def Leppard. I don't know. But whatever your song is, country, it pales in comparison. Pales in comparison to the living God when he decides he's going to write a love story and he writes it. He does it right. In fact, with the audacity to call it the song of all songs. This one trumps them all. So, get ready. Here we go. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's pretty spicy. Uh, I'm going to leave a lot of the spice for Charlie to pick up next week, but it starts out right from the beginning. Verse 2. Verse 1 was just saying, hey, this is the song of all songs. Verse 2 say, says, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Y'all, that's verse 2. I have decided upon a study of this for this morning that this is a memory verse that Terry needs to have posted on the, you know, on the vanity, maybe in several different versions, you know, just to make sure. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. I have, uh, here and there, I end up officiating, I don't even know what to do with that word, officiating weddings. You know, I was in college ministry for a long time, so there were various students that came through here and there that I knew them pretty well, and they asked me to do marriage counseling in the wedding, and, and I agreed. I really liked that when I knew the people really well. It felt really, I think it would feel really awkward if I didn't know somebody, but if I knew them really well, that's a lot of fun. It's been a while, but like two weeks ago, uh, I got to be a part of a wedding, and even tonight, there's a couple that I'm going to get to be a part of their wedding and one of the things that I do that uh, may be unique to, to me, but I just feel like it's really important, I ask the couple to give me love letters, to write love letters for one another and, and send them to me, and, or take some old ones and give them to me, so that from that, like, as I'm sharing with the crowd, and we're celebrating this love, this thing that God has done between this man and this woman, that I can, I can say some of their own words for them, you know, instead of them addressing the crowd, I can say, hey, you said this about him. Woo-hoo. Man, that's, that's pretty good. Hey, and then you said this about her, you know? This couple tonight, in their letters, the, the girl said, um, I really like the, the scent of your neck. Now, I don't know what his neck smells like or what, if it's cologne or if it's just his neck. I don't know. Normally, guys don't have a good smelling neck, I don't think. But evidently, his neck has a really good scent, and she likes it. And when I read those letters, I feel like all of a sudden, man, I'm in the middle of this relationship. You know, it's like, man, I, sh- I should not be here right now. Like, this is, this is them, and they love one another, and obviously, like, these, these pages are on fire. And, um, and so I'm going to try to take that and communicate that. But uh, I'm in the middle of it. Well, that's what it feels like in Song of Solomon. I mean, right from the start. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love 
is better than wine. This text is on fire. I don't know how good you guys are at starting fires. I have traditionally not been very good. In fact, a few times here before, I've kind of told some of these stories. One night, all night in a camping trip uh, with my boys, and it was raining, and I got down to the last match of a hole, like one of those big boxes, and finally it started. Uh, I've, I always try to, I've always, in the past, I always try to take shortcuts, you know, throw a log out there and throw a bunch of lighter fluid on it and throw a match on it, and it burns for about, you know, five minutes, and then it dies out. Uh, when I'm cooking, you know, it, it's the shortcut. I mean, I could have a gra- gas grill, and I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop and want to get there, you know, as quick as we can. So, so that, you know, that would make sense. But I've purposely chosen in this area to, to do it the old way. Uh, I prefer charcoal. But, man, to get a, a charcoal grill to the place that it's the perfect temperature, it takes some effort and some work and some time to start a fire at your, in your fireplace or in a campfire where you have to really, like, get that tinder and, and, and really work with something small and get the flame going and then, and then give it air. And just, I mean, it's a, it's a slow, meticulous process. But when that fire is going and when that fire is hot, if you'll take care of it, that fire will last made the mistake one time I was at, had a grill and I started and I was so frustrated with the charcoal, couldn't get it to go. I just took the lighter fluid and it, and that's when I lost my eyebrows. <laughs> you know, you think, you think that you can, you can shortcut the process, but you can't. You, it, takes, it takes time and effort. And so when I look at this, this letter and these first two chapters this morning, I really, really kind of see it like this fire. And uh, the first thing I want to bring to our attention is is a fire is only as hot as the embers. The work that it takes to get that, those base embers that sometimes, uh, in fact, I was walking by before, and I was really trying to learn how to do this well. I was walking by a campsite one day, and a guy that you could tell he camped a lot, and was a lot better at this fire thing than I was, he, he rolled out of his tent, and he walked over to his fire, and it looked like, it just looked like it was dead. And then he just lay down on the ground and, and the flame just because those embers down underneath all of that were still burning hot. Uh, this fire is only a fire is only as hot as the embers. And so so this couple that we're walking into the middle of this conversation, man, those ember embers are are burning and they've been meticulous and slow and careful about the way that they've started this fire. Look at verse three. She says, your oils have a pleasing fragrance. She says, you, you smell good. Fellas, I don't know. I'm picking up this morning, and maybe we need to work on our scent. Because <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know that I smell that great. Because guys just don't by nature. But look what she says. You have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. She says, your reputation is is awesome. I, the, the scent of your reputation is incredible. Yeah, you smell good, but she says, I respect who you are. I mean, even the other girls, even my girlfriends think that you're a stud, that you've got character. Y'all in here today, whether you're single or married or wherever you find yourself, like this truth that, that character is crazy attractive. And that at the heart of a, of a real deal, sure enough, 
you know, God-like, Song of Solomon-like relationship, there's going to be this fire that's built on the character of both people, their name. You know, growing up, guys would get names like Booger and Skeeter. I always, as bad as those nicknames are, I really was jealous of a guy named Booger that they called Booger. I mean, that's really sad, but, but you know, but when you, this, she's saying your name is good. It's so good that the other girls say it's good, and you know that's pretty good, right? Because when a girlfriend goes and asks her friends, what do you think about this guy? They're going to tell her the truth, and they're saying, hey, no, he's, he's real. His yes is yes, and his no is no. He can be trusted. We've been around him, and we've seen him with other people. We've seen how he acts. This is a guy, yes, this is good. You should totally be with him. That's huge. So at the heart of it is this character, and she is crazy, attracted to this character. You know, we work so much on the outside to be attractive, guys, spending time in the gym, trying to do the diet thing. And I'm not saying those things aren't good, but a lot of times we pass right by this, this character issue. And maybe you've been married 20 years. And maybe your character has started to dive and your husband or wife has noticed that that, there's been a dip in character. Do you know that that is very, very unattractive? And in character, standing up for what's right, being that kind of man, that kind of woman, is on the flip side, crazy attractive. I would argue even more attractive than, than the physical attributes. So if you're single, develop that. If you're married, don't stop. Develop it even all the more. You know, I, for a long time, there was this, this pastor that, uh, that I worked with at a very traditional Baptist church. And um, <laughs> on this topic, he did not blush. And he was not afraid to talk about it a lot. And I really appreciated that about him. And his wife wasn't either. And, um, and I remember, man, we would be together often with the deacon body or like with the other staff, and he would do some kind of Bible study when there were a bunch of guys in the room. He would do some kind of Bible study, and then he would make some application points, and then his last statement before he finished was, fellas, if you'll do that, she'll want to make love with you all the time. <laughs> you want to talk about, what was that application point again? Would you please... Would, would you please, would you, sir, would you please repeat that? that? That sounded really important. But it was totally right. He was, he was right that this growing as a man of God is going to be crazy attractive. The attraction that you desire, this is the key. This is the key. God wants to make you this man. Submit to it. Obey. And, uh, and this life that he's called you to and that he's promised is possible. Verse 6, she says, talking about herself, Do not stare at me because I am swarthy. That just means dark, but swarthy just sounds more, I don't know. It just fits better with the next part of this verse. For the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. When this girl looks at herself, she doesn't see something beautiful. She sees a girl that's had to work hard, got calluses on her hands, that has been out in the sun. And while here, I know we're all, you know, trying to get tan. Uh, most of the world is trying to keep from getting darker. Did y'all know that? Like, we, we buy all these things to try to look darker. And really, the, most of those cosmetic p- 
product sales or for, for people trying to make their skin lighter and trying to protect themselves from the sun. She's like, I'm, I'm, I'm dark, and, I, and I've, all this sun has baked my skin, and I am, I am not beautiful. Her view of herself is, I, I'm not beautiful enough for you. Um, but look what he says in verse 8. No, girl, you're the most beautiful woman. I had a little bit there. Then in verse 9 and 10, to me, my darling, you are like a mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Boom, girl, you look like a horse. (laughs) Maybe in our terms, girl, you a brick house. Girl, you look like a horse. Uh, So as we move through Song of Solomon, you're going to see, like, some of these metaphors are kind of hard for us to get, you know? We know I wouldn't necessarily say that to Terry. I read that, and I'm like, dude, you just lost it. She was, she was all about you, and now she's gone. But what he's trying to say is, man, the, the horses and the pharaohs of chariot, I mean, the, the, horses, the chari- chariot horses of pharaoh, man, they were adorned with all the, you know, all the jewels and all the things, and they were majestic and beautiful and kind of the center of, this, of that, you know, civilization, that army. And he's like, man, that's how incredible you are. You lead the charge. You are incredible, girl. You are beautiful. And evidently, she got it. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I would get it, but, but she got it. Um, verse 13 and 14, my beloved is to me a, a pouch of myrrh. This is her talking, which lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyard of En Gedi. Man, this, this dude is like this perfume that's on something, you know, like a necklace hanging on my chest, and it continually gives off this pleasing aroma. He makes me happy. I delight in him. <laughs> when, uh, when we lived overseas, we had these friends that moved and joined us for a while, and, and they moved into a house that was right beside a sewer. And so house was awesome, but it, man, it did stink. And if the wind blew that the wrong direction and you were walking in there, like you had to just kind of hold your breath to get inside. And then they had it all blocked off where inside it didn't smell that bad. And they had a whole lot of good smelling stuff inside. So the wife, she finally figured this out. She said, I have a way to live in this stinky place, but not smell it. She just got lotion. She just rubbed it underneath her nose every day. So it was like, we would ask her, like, what's the scent today? It was vanilla this morning. Yeah, I got cinnamon going on. (laughs) It was this scent that was going to protect her from all these things. This girl says that, man, this cat, he just smells, like, not physically smells good, but he is this pleasing aroma that makes me happy. And then verse 15 and 16, how beautiful you are, my darling. He calls her my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. I mean, doves are just beautiful creatures. And if you notice, he's surely going to talk about her body, but he's bringing attention to her eyes. You know, Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. Something significant that his eyes are not, (laughs) he might be looking other places, but his eyes are firmly fixed on her eyes, and he sees how incredible she is. This line of your eyes are like doves, it repeats over and over and over again through Song of Solomon. There's this attention to to the peace, the life that's there in your eyes. How handsome you are, my beloved, and so pleasant. Uh, Then in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1, this is what this girl that just a little bit earlier said, I am unattractive. 
now because of his care for her, because of his kind words to her, because of the way that he has treated her with such respect. Look what she says. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. She has begun to view herself as beautiful. She has begun to, begun to say the same things about herself that he's been saying about her because he said it so much, and obviously he believes it, so she started to believe it about herself. Her own self-worth and the way that she looks at herself in the mirror has risen up because of his tender words. You guys, these, these embers, they're not easy to build. It takes time and effort. And there are couples, the reason you go to a restaurant and you see couples and all they're doing is playing on their phone and not even looking at the doves of the eyes anymore. And they're not talking sweet nothings and calling each other darling and talking about how she looks like a horse. They're not doing that. And I don't have to be an expert in love or anything else to look across the table and go, man, that, that relationship is dead. Or a young couple that's trying to date, and, it, and it's not there. They're not speaking tenderly to one another. They're just having a meal, and then they're just doing things together. But they, they've lost this piece that requires work. It's beautiful. And it's really cool to me that in just one chapter, she has already gone from looking at herself as unattractive to calling herself beautiful. And not just beautiful, but, I mean, like the lily of the valley, I mean, like, like the most right? The other thing I see about a fire is that a fire is only good when it's contained. Um, I know some folks in here that have let a fire get out of containment and burn our yard down, almost burnt the house down. Happened to us last year. Luckily, luckily, we had a water hose nearby. It can happen easy, right? We try to block off a fire, but you better go through great effort to make sure that there's a boundary with which that fire can burn hot, but it doesn't need to get out of bounds because if it gets out of bounds, it causes trouble. So we draw boundaries. Well, that's what this couple does. Uh, chapter 2, 3 through 6, he says, like an, uh, she says, Like an apple among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. In his shade. She's existing in his shade. In that place, she feels delight and she feels safe. Being with somebody that you feel safe with is really important. And this guy has proven to her that he is safe. She says, I, gr- I took great delight and sat down, and, f- uh, and the fruit was s- sweet to my taste. He has brought me into his banqueting hall, and his banner over me is love. And now she gets really hungry. And now what happens, man, is like, man, I like this guy. He's got it together, man. He talks nice to me. He's got good character. I feel safe when I'm with him. Oh, my goodness, I am hungry, and I'm hungry for raisin cakes and apples, which, just as a side note, are both aphrodisiacs. And she says, because I am lovesick. I mean, this girl says, whoo, <laughs> this dude is hot, and I like him. <laughs> Let his hand be under my head, and his right hand embrace me. Pretty intimate kind of situation she's talking about. Um, man, she's saying, <laughs> and then look what happens in verse 7. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles um, or by the, the hinds of the field, that you not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. All these things that are going on are beautiful and right and holy. It's good. This attraction that's on fire, that's, that's all good. 
but it does have to be contained. There is a way that it works and it's good in context. And there's a way that when it jumps the bounds and shortcuts are taken and it's not, it's not done the way that God intended for it to be done, that it burns the house down. And so fire is great, but it has to be contained. This is also something that's repeated all throughout the book. She says, do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. I'm feeling this way, but now is not the moment. This time is not. There is a time, but this is not the time. Then, a fire that is tended never goes out. You know, if a fire is really taken care of, if somebody will give it attention when it starts to get low, if they'll add some more wood, you know, if they'll, if they'll when it's kind of low and they'll kind of stoke it, the, a fire that's taken care of, that's tended, will continue to burn. And that's what you see here. They're doing something that's not going to just blow up and then go away. Chapter 2, 8 and 9 Listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming, uh, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. This guy is a stud, and he is on his way. Behold, he is standing by the wall. He is looking through the windows. He's peering through the lattice. I mean, now we said that she's like, man, I like this cat. Well, look at him, man. He is running and jumping and staring through the lattice work. I mean, he's, he's ready to go. Verse 14, uh, which means he is, he is pursuing her. That means he's pursuing her. And, and what happens, guys, even some single guys, like, they just expect the girl to pursue them. Or a married guy, like, well, I did that before we got married, but now I'm kind of done with the pursuit. I'm not that, that, that stag anymore. Now I'm just a, I don't know, a hippopotamus. I, guess. I just kind of sit here, and now I'm not chasing. I can't even run. I just sit here in the pond and float. You know, beg somebody to take care of me. Well, it will die. That's not tending the fire very well. I promise you, that's just, it will die a sure death. It may take a little time before that hippopotamus goes underwater, but it's going to because he's not running anymore. Here we got it. He says, man, he is chasing. Uh, but then something happens in verse 14. My dove in the cleft of the rocks, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. Something's happened where the girl has, she's retreated and she's gotten away from him and there is, there's a breakdown. And for a lot of couples, and this could be the story here, we could have a real short book. It could be over halfway through chapter two because something goes wrong and there's a problem and then nobody talks about it, nobody deals with it. And so the problem just gets bigger and then finally that, that fire just goes out. But luckily, that's not what, ha- that's not what happens. Verse 15, they say, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are running in the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. Catch these foxes. Our our vineyard is growing, and this is a time for growth, but foxes have slipped in, and the foxes are destroying the vineyard, and we need to go on a hunt. We can't just turn our eye to it and just let the foxes go and let them destroy our vineyard. No, no, we need to be on the hunt. We need to be on the lookout. And anything that's trying to come into this relationship and trying to mess with it, whether it's on your end or my end or our end or life or whatever the situation is, we need to be on the hunt to go after those foxes and take care of them. You know, I've uh, talked to Charlie before about how couples will 
let these, and just using this as an illustration, let these foxes go that are causing trouble, disagreements, past baggage, current things, um, just the inability to just be able to communicate with one another, whatever it may be, and they don't deal with it. And so then a fox goes and gets some friends. Now there's two foxes, three foxes, four foxes, and they are just destroying the vineyard. And the, and the marriage, the relationship is just, is just dying. And then when there's like one grape left on the vine, they're like, hey, can we, can we get together and talk about it? And then they tell a story of something that the, now, the, now the, the vineyard's destroyed. Fellas, ladies, man, you got you to gotta be hunting the fox because they're coming. They're, they are coming to tear it, to destroy it. They're, they're there right now. And you got to be on the hunt, looking for them, destroying them, cutting them left and right, you know? You got to have that kind of vigilance to care for this thing so that this fire doesn't go out. If you don't, it will. Does, do we not look around us and see that? We have to deal with the foxes. And evidently, this couple does. And that's the reason we're in halfway through chapter 2, uh, and now we roll into the rest of this book, and it only gets more spicy. It only gets more steamy, and I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to let Charlie deal with that next week. But it does because they deal with the foxes. It does because they tend this fire well. In fact, you see it at the end of chapter 2. Until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bether. That's the way chapter 2 ends. Now, I'll tell you how I know that they, uh, they killed the foxes and restored this broken thing they had going on. Because the mountains of Bether, from what I understand, they don't exist. Never did. He's not talking about, like, physical mountains. Bether is the word that means Separation. And so there's two mountains that are just beside one another. So you can do with that whatever you want to. <laughs> but they, when you move on to this next chapter, chapter 3, it gets, it gets spicy. And what, what, the reason I'm telling you that is because this relationship got restored. They did something about the problem. You know, I, I don't know what your goal is if you're married, if you're single and you're thinking about marriage in the future. If you're married, I don't, I don't know what your goal is for that, but... But Terry and I kind of have this, this vision of what we would like to be true. And it's, it's pretty simple. You know, we, we've been married over 20 years. When we've been married over 40, 50 years, we've got grandchildren that are around. We want to make our grandchildren blush. We want the passion to be so hot between grandma and granddad that our teenagers go, whoa. Whoa. You ever seen, a, seen an older couple like that? Uh, I mean, if, if, if you have, it's, you, you've, you had a rare find, right? Because most of the time, man, it, you, you get around an older couple that's been around together for a while, and you might, you might call it something, but you don't call it passionate. But I've been around some of those older couples that are like that, and I've seen, man, that's, that's what I want to be true. 
In order to do that, man, we're going to have to cultivate this fire. In order to do it, we're going to have to continue to take care of it. In order to do it, we're going to have to continue to speak kindly to one another. In order to do it, I'm going to have to continue to pursue you, and you're going to have to continue to pursue me. If something jumps in, we're going to be looking for it, and as soon as it shows its face, we're going to kill it. But if you are able to do those things, if you're willing to take up that, I've seen what it looks like. There's a a couple. Actually, the pastor I was telling you about, his uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law, who were also long-time pastor and pastor's wife at a really traditional church. The reason this pastor was like that is because he learned it from this couple. And when I was around that couple, oh my goodness, I blushed. Uh, Their grandchild told me that (laughs) right before his wedding, his grandmother went with his bride over to the house that they were going to move into. And they walked around the house, and she said, oh, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice. Hey, take me to the bedroom. So they walked back to the bedroom, and she looked around and commented to this young bride uh, and, and uh, applauded her for the choice of and the placement of the furniture in the bedroom. And wow, that made good sense for all the things that, that a marriage would incur. That's a grandma right there. You know, that's... That's what, I mean, this is in our Bibles, y'all. This is not something else. But because a void has been left, and because we haven't talked about it, then the void has been filled. And the answers to these questions and what it's supposed to look like are coming from other places. When God has spoken clearly. So, you know, I don't know from this section what it is that really jumps out to you. I don't know if there's foxes that need to be taken care of. I don't know if you have gotten into a mode where you speak harshly to one another and have forgotten the, my dear darling, your uh, eyes look like doves and, you know, you a horse. I don't know if you've lost some of that. If Guys, if you've stopped the chase. Right now, as we sing these songs, think about that. Ask God to reveal it to you. What's the step that you need to take? Is the opportunity for communion, forgiving? I challenge you in this area specifically over these next few minutes and as we move through this, this study of Song of Solomon, all right? Let me pray for us. Father, that's just true. That there is, because of our silence, a void has been left, and lots of folks have taken that opportunity to jump into the middle of the conversation and communicate to us, to communicate to our children, to tell a story, a half-truth, a lie about what this can and should look like, what you created it for. And I'm asking you that you would make us a, a people that would redeem that, that redeem that this is your idea and that what you created is beautiful, to know it, to experience it, and to talk about it, that we would, we would not be afraid. Father, thank you that that's true. Please lead us to your glory. Amen.